live from the Business Radio X studio inside Renaissance Bank, the bank that specializes in understanding you. It's time for North Fulton Business Radio. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of North Fulton Business Radio. I'm John Ray. And folks, we are broadcasting from inside Renaissance Bank in beautiful Alpharetta. And if you are tired of the mega bank experience, and if you're at one of those banks, you know what I mean. Computer generated voices and you can't find a live person to save your soul, even if you go into the branch sometimes. It's amazing how that works. Renaissance does not do business that way. I see it every day because I'm in one of their offices. They do business the personal way. They answer their own phone. And you know what? They're big enough to handle pretty much any need you can throw at them as well. And so that size makes a difference as well. So they're at that magic combination, I think, of size and personal service. If you're looking for that in a bank, go to renaissancebank.com and find one of their local offices and give them a call. I think you'll be glad you did. Renaissance Bank, understanding you, member FDIC. And now I want to welcome Elizabeth G. Elizabeth is with the G Law Firm. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Let's talk about you and your firm. How are you serving folks out there? Sure. My firm is an immigration firm. Okay. So when I say immigration, people automatically assume um, it's all-encompassing, the border stuff. Unfortunately, we do not do any removal defense or deportation defense, okay. but we serve corporations, individuals, and families in mm-hmm. their immigration matters. Got it. So business for the most part, right? Yes. My specialty is in working with businesses. I'm right. bringing workers from abroad and mm-hmm. maintaining compliance with employees that they have here who are foreign nationals. Got it. Okay. Let's talk about your journey. and. Uh, why the law for you? And then why immigration? I'm always interested in that when I speak with attorneys about why they pick their discipline, because you've got a lot of choices, right? True. That is yeah. very true. Yeah. So I'm what you call a 1.5 generation Korean American, which mm-hmm. means I was born abroad, but came to the United States very young and grew up here. Mm-hmm. So, but I remember from the second grade, I decided that I wanted to be an attorney. And it was because I laid my eyes on the first episode of Divorce Court, if you of all things. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> At that time, I had no idea what I was watching was Divorce Court, uh-huh. but I was fixated on the lady attorney okay. who was shown cross-examining a witness, and it just, to me, looked amazing. She was so eloquent, mm. she was so articulate, and she was so powerful in her own way. I'm like, I want to be that. Mm. So from that moment forward, my life's purpose was to be an attorney. Really? That's interesting. Yep. But you didn't end up being a divorce attorney. No, I did not. Later, I learned what that was, and I was like, that's not my thing. But I think immigration chose me naturally because my family immigrated to the United States. We were um, beneficiaries of a family-based immigration where Mm -hmm. we were sponsored by uh, my father's uh, older sister. Mm. And it was just learning how we came to be and the opportunities that we were given because we happened to have grown up in the United States motivated me to serve this community or serve this area of law. Yeah, that, that's what, what a great story. So uh, let's talk about the immigration process. Maybe we can start with misconceptions, right? Because this is an area of the law where I can't think of one that 
there may be, but that this one has a lot of misconceptions. I can't think of an area of law that has more misconceptions mm-hmm. than this one. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of the most common ones that you hear and let's dispel those. Sure. I think one of the most common misconception about immigration law in general is that we just fill out forms mm-hmm. for benefits. Mm-hmm. While there is a component where we have to apply for benefits by filling out government forms, it's so nuanced that if you don't understand where it comes from or where that specific question comes from, you're not able to supply the answer properly, which then causes problems. So you're talking about the questions on the form absolutely are very nuanced. Not all of them. Some of them are very straightforward, mm-hmm. meaning your biographical information, your name, address, sure. things like that. Right. But there are questions on the form which gauges your eligibility for the benefit you're seeking, mm. and they are, to a certain extent, nuanced. So even as practitioners, we have to go back to the regulations, go back to the laws that formulate the policies and determine how best we have to answer this because we have to do them all honestly. So Mm -hmm. all the answers we give them have to be honest (laughs) (laughs) or under penalty of perjury. So we we go back and forth and analyze, do legal analysis on, if you can believe it, some of the questions that are on these forms. So the practice really isn't about filling out a form. So just knowing English or somebody who can translate the content on the form to your native language isn't enough to fill these out accurately mm-hmm. so that you have the most straightforward path to getting the benefit you applied for. Yeah, that that's, I wasn't expecting that answer, but it makes a lot of sense because what we expect from government forms is it's just facts, right? And so what you're saying is that there's in, in immigration, and this is a question. In the immigration law, there's a bit of art to it. It's not just science. Exactly. Yeah. I yeah. would argue that because we advocate for our clients every day. Mm-hmm. So the misconception that I want to highlight is that it's not just paying attorneys to fill out a form that you could do or someone else could on your behalf. Um, it's advocating that your client is eligible for that benefit you're seeking. And this is where a lot of people get taken, right? I mean, they get taken by people that really are not, uh, well, in some cases are shady, just to put it nicely, Um, because the misconception is it's all about the forms and, hey, I can help you fill out the forms and get them submitted and that kind of thing. And people are paying for something that they're probably maybe not going to get great results from. Of all places, I was at the U.S. Immigration Field Office in Atlanta long time ago. And on the walls, like on one of the bulletin boards when they had one, there was a sign that said the wrong kind of help can hurt. And mm. that was that resonated with me because it happens all the time where people may have the best of intentions, where, you know, yeah, you're not a native speaker of English. We're going to help you translate these words and help you fill out these forms. Some of the instructions are actually in various different languages even. Mm-hmm. So the forms weren't intended to require an attorney to help fill out. Um, they're, like you said, government forms where they're seeking information or seeking facts. But because the practice or the area of immigration has um, become one that requires advocacy, that requires um, planning, that requires legal analysis and strategy, that the form is just one part of it. 
And how you fill out, how to strategize a case will determine how that form is going to be filled out. And especially certain questions that are intentionally ambiguous, you need to understand the context or what the government is looking for so that not only are you being 100% honest and forthcoming, but at the same time, you're still preserving your rights, right? In filling out those forms. And people who are not attorneys, who are not experienced immigration attorneys even, can do that for you. Yeah, and and just to be clear, so if someone's doing my forms, they don't have to be an attorney. Technically, they do. Technically, they do. Yes. Only a licensed attorney or a board-certified representative, so they have to be vetted by the Department of Justice, are allowed to fill out a form on behalf of someone else. So you can fill it out as the self-preparer. Or if a third party is going to do it for you, it has to be an attorney, a licensed attorney, or a board-certified representative. But what others normally do is they fill everything out and then have the foreign national sign as if they self-prepared. So that, that's how you know that it's maybe the wrong kind of help that may hurt you because they're not putting their information, they're not putting their neck on the line. Right. When attorneys prepare immigration applications on behalf of clients, our information is all over the application. So they know who prepared this. They know who to come to, who Mm -hmm. represents this person. So we don't hide behind anything because Mm. we're human. So if mistakes happen, we are going to be held accountable and we are going to be in the best position to um, rectify anything that may have happened because of our error. Yeah, you just mentioned a great warning sign people need to pay attention to. That was good. Elizabeth G. is with us, folks. She is with the G. Law Firm, uh, an immigration attorney with her, obviously her own firm. Let's talk about the just how laws are changing. I can imagine if you studied immigration law in law school just a few years ago, <laughs> yeah, things are totally different, right? Because the the regulations change a lot, right? Well, so the immigration law is under the con- uh, the purview of Congress. Mm-hmm. So, in order for regulations to change, it requires an act of Congress. Mm. But how immigration law is interpreted and turned into policy is what's changing okay. often, or sometimes mm-hmm. interpretations change depending on administration or who's in office. Mm-hmm. But I think the way and when these changes are made to the policy manual is updated and we're required to abide by what's in the policy manual. So laws haven't changed that much. Okay, you're right. (laughs) Right. But in in how it's applied and how it's interpreted may change from time to time. And well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for uh, clarifying that because that's really helpful. But what that says to me is that you really and this again gets back to having an attorney with the experience you have that a lot of what comes back in, in terms of what you learn about where the, how the law is getting interpreted and so forth is anecdotal, Mm -hmm. right? It's, and, and you would need to have a caseload that you're constantly working to be able to see some of the changes and trends that help you help your clients. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Say more on that. I believe, well, 
one of my firm's mottos yeah. <laughs> is well planned, well executed. Mm. And the reason is if you have a good, a sound plan that is compliant with the current laws as written and compliant with the policies as is written, and then you execute on that well, meaning you prepare the forms and the evidence to the requirements under the law, then the desired outcome is I can't say a certainty because we can't, we're not allowed to guarantee outcomes, right. but you know, the desired outcome is most likely to occur. That's what I believe and that's what I strive for my clients. With that said, a lot of us in the immigration bar constantly are in communication with one another, sharing patterns. We're trying to discern what's happening on the ground, mm-hmm. especially to compare the experience that we are having or our clients having with what's happening and what should be considered the norm. So to be able to reach out to qualified experts or others in the community who are just as held in high esteem will definitely give you an advantage in helping your clients because you have access to good information. And I think immigration attorneys are one of the most generous, generous Mm. in the bar, meaning that they're very open to helping, mentoring others and providing information Sometimes as a solo practitioner, you have what is called a brain fart. Like, am I allowed to say that? <laughs> that that's a technical term, folks. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Go ahead. And you second guess yourself and you need to phone a friend. Right. And you're not going to call and make an appointment to phone a friend. Sure. And you have people, sometimes strangers that you haven't met, or you may have just seen their name in the professional capacity and mm-hmm. you just post something saying, hey, I'm thinking this, am I losing my mind or is this wrong or something like that? And then you have several of those individuals responding and saying, either confirming or setting you in a different direction so that you have an answer to that burning question where you're doubting yourself. So I think that amount of support, being able to access information, we have a professional association called the American Immigration Lawyers Association. Mm -hmm. It's a national organization of immigration attorneys, but we have local chapters too, Mm. including the Georgia-Alabama chapter, of which I'm a member. Mm -hmm. And again, you can reach out to a mentor and they're so generous with their time and expertise that you don't have to do it alone. And therefore, your your clients are not alone. Yeah, wow. A lot of value there for sure. So let's talk about what what you're seeing um, on the ground, as it were, with um, businesses, corporations that are looking for um, to uh, make sure their workers have legal status and um, uh, want to bring a worker from another country to the United States. What are you seeing? So a lot of questions that I'm seeing from employers is lately I've been seeing a lot of inquiries from what I call service industry employers, mm-hmm. meaning in restaurants, constructions, plumbing, electricians, so on and so forth. And they're having a hard time filling open and vacant positions in those uh, specialized skilled labor roles. And now they're turning themselves to immigration as possibly being a solution and therefore calling people like myself. Mm. And unfortunately, right off the bat, I have to let them know that these positions don't qualify for the proverbial work visa. People think there's a work visa for everything. I call them the alphabet soup of visas, and they do it <laughs> from A to Z almost. Sure. But unfortunately, there aren't visas for every type of position or or work, type of work that's 
is available in a U.S. business. Mm-hmm. So we have to get a little bit more creative and construct a more long-term plan. And it's nothing's ever instantaneous when it comes to visa work. So one of the things that I want to educate my corporate clients or my employer clients is that if you're looking to a foreign, a bringing foreign talent as an option for your business, it requires some long-term planning, like strategic planning, and it requires the business to be to make an investment on the front end. But the benefits that they will reap at the end, once that employee or employees are here, it's I can't put into words the benefit, like put it to numbers, like how much does that revenue that employee can generate worth to you? Sure. Or how much does it, is it worth to you to have a consistent supply of employees who are able to perform those skills, those high level skills that our current workforce is not interested in doing or are not able to do. So having that as an option for your long-term plans for your business is definitely a value. But the but we have to cut the cord on that misconception that it's something you pay money for and you get it instantaneously. The work visas that we're talking about are reserved for specialty occupations or specialty occupation is, again, a term of art. Yes, <laughs> right. And it, it's a job that requires a minimum of a bachelor's degree. And mm. who determines whether it requires a bachelor's degree is not you. Mm-hmm. It's the, the Department of Labor, right. right? And how they interpret the the minimum skills for a job. So all this to say, work visas may not be for every type of business, but there are more long-term solutions available, but the business has to be able to stomach the, the time commitment and the financial commitment to make it happen. Yeah. And the irritation, right? Let's just be honest. It, it, it can be frustrating at times for businesses to have to go through some of the things they have to go through because they're, they've, there's a worker shortage here. We all know that across industries and across job descriptions. Mm-hmm. And so this just seems like such a logical way to address that problem. And it can be frustrating. Absolutely. Because I, as a business owner myself, I always try to, when I'm counseling my business clients, I look at it from a business perspective, not only as an attorney who's been hired to facilitate the immigration paperwork that's going to give them the desired outcome that they want, but I look at it from a business. I'm looking at it. I always talk to my clients about, okay, what is your return on investment? Right? These are your concerns, but how are you going to make sure that you maximize that uh, the efficiency, right, of having this employee produce for you, right? So I'm always a proponent of fairness and transparency when it comes to hiring. It's not because like foreign nationals just treat them the same as you would treat any U.S. worker. Mm-hmm. It's just that there's an extra step you have to take in order to have them work here lawfully for you. Got it. Now you've got a pet peeve. Oh, I, folks, I know this because we talked before we came out the air. Elizabeth has a pet peeve, and that pet peeve is around the terms we just got through using, status and visa, mm-hmm. and that people get that confused and sometimes to, to their detriment, right? Absolutely. So a pet peeve of mine is to use those terms interchangeably mm-hmm. because they don't mean the same thing. So status is something you get when you land on U.S. soil. So when a foreign national presents himself or herself at the border and presents the appropriate paperwork to gain entry to the U.S. and Customs Border Patrol says, welcome to the United States, is when they get status. And usually it's corresponding to the visa that they presented. 
visa is a document that you get from a U.S. embassy or consulate abroad. So it's a it's a sticker actually that they affix onto your passport, mm-hmm. which gives you permission to seek entry to the United States. So again, you're not guaranteed entry, but you get permission to seek entry. And when it comes becomes detrimental to a client, is when they think status and visa are the same thing, because. You, depending on how you enter the United States, you can change your status to something else. So you can come in one status and then change it to something else, but that doesn't mean you automatically get a visa to that new status. Can I give you an example? Please, of this yeah. Happening? So yeah, absolutely. A couple months ago, I signed a client where they were very pressed for time. And what had happened was they came to the United States around COVID time where everything was shut down. And they took that as a sign to say, hey, let's take the plunge and do this, start, start this business that we've been wanting to in the United States. So although they entered on a tourist visa or and were in tourist status, mm-hmm. <laughs> were able to cha- put together the resources in order to change their status to something that allowed them to become investors and have and run their own business. And after having done that, they were not provided the proper guidance that A, status and visa are not the same thing, and B, the next time they left the United States, that they would not be able to come back into that investor status unless Mm. they had an accompanying visa to match. So as I said earlier, visa is only granted from a U.S. consulate or embassy abroad. And without having gone through the application process again at the U.S. consulate and embassy, they would not be able to have that visa in their passport. So sure enough, after visiting abroad, upon entry to or attempted entry to the United States, they were um, pulled into what's called secondary inspection, where you talk to the, the uh, Customs and Border Patrol officer in a room which can be nerve-wracking, sure. to say the least. of course. And they had to fight tooth and nail to be able to come back into the United States. And that's when they first learned that they needed a visa in order to come back, that changing their status in the U.S. did not grant them the same once they left. So I think it's very important not only that we educate our clients, but also the general public, because when you have employees who may have changed their status to work, be able to legally work for you in the United States, after travel outside the U.S., it may not mean that they're going to be able to come back. Hmm. So if you know anyone is planning to travel outside, you need to plan for a visa appointment. And these appointments are not, you know, readily available. Right. 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 <laughs> you have to. Yeah, they don't, they don't have a whole time slots open no. uh, this afternoon, no. right? Yeah. No, no. Yeah. They don't. So it, it really bothers me when especially professionals and people who should know better right. use these terms interchangeably and don't distinguish the difference because to someone, to an individual, to our clients, it could be a, a difference of being able to be back with their families in the US or with their businesses. Yeah, that's sobering for sure. So let's talk specifically about strategies that you recommend for businesses in terms of uh, making sure they're compliant. Yes, this is also very important. I counsel client or companies that have uh, offices and locations outside the United States too. And there is a visa for that, for being able to move key uh, players in that in, in the business to come. So one of the things that I see is misuse of a tourist visa or a business visa. And businesses need to understand that immigration transactions don't happen 
overnight. It's not, again, we submit a form and you get an outcome. Sometimes results take six to eight months. Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes there's avenues to expedite by paying an expedite fee to the government. But again, it's not anything that's going to happen instantly. So as a business, planning and not only planning in terms of allocating enough time, but planning in terms of like having a hiring plan mm-hmm. and knowing when you need this person for what reason and why you need them at this specific time. Right. Uh, the conversation with your immigration counsel should lead with that yeah. instead of I needed him here yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And I would imagine that some businesses, maybe they go for the low hanging fruit. In other words, they go for a, maybe a tourist visa is real easy to get, but then you're misusing yes. the intent of the visa and that can work against you. I would imagine. Absolutely. It's yeah. actually a violation, not only for the employer, but it's a violation for the foreign national. So mm-hmm. if you are here on a tourist visa and you perform work, mm-hmm. some people say, well, well, I wasn't paid here or I was paid in cash. No one will know <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> right. It's a slippery slope. Of, of sorts, because it's still a violation, right? Mm-hmm. So any subsequent application that you fill out for a benefit, again, you have to truthfully answer. And one of the questions is, have you ever violated the terms of your visa? Mm. So the question is, just because no one knows about it doesn't mean that you didn't violate, yep. right? right? And then you come to a position where you have to answer dishonestly, in order to get the next benefit that you're applying for, mm-hmm. which again is a violation. And it's you're just perpetuating this snowball effect of bad acts, yeah. right? That could eventually bite you. And yeah. immigration is one of those areas that is the least forgiving, um, meaning that you make a mistake or you lie, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, we can go into a conversation about waivers and all that stuff, but that's probably I'll need like four hours to talk about that. <laughs> But without going into that, a lie is a lie. Right. right. A misrepresentation is a misrepresentation, and you can't unring that bell. Yeah, that's uh, sobering, and the results of that are are pretty horrific in terms of uh, being a denied and having no remedy for that denial. Right. Exactly. So yeah. I I explain to my clients: imagine immigration like putting on a button up shirt or a button down, however you call it. Right, right? yeah. So if you get the top button wrong and you find out when you get to the bottom that your shirt is crooked, Mm -hmm. the only way to remedy that is to unbutton everything, right? And Mm -hmm. start over. Mm. Unfortunately, with immigration, you have to undo the mistake if you have that opportunity and then redo the thing that that you needed to have done correctly to get your benefit And sometimes you may not be afforded the opportunity to do that. And if you are, it takes years to undo, to fix, and to get. And the amount of stress, the amount of money that you need to spend, it's just some people will say it's not fair. But, you know, the good thing is you can avoid it, Mm -hmm. right? You could avoid making that mistake in the first place by gaining access to the right information and the right kind of help. Yeah. One of the things we were talking about, before we came on the air was just the fact that everyone's situation is different and that uh, people are sometimes clients that are looking for help or sometimes, well, they're misled or they're attracted by easy answers and everyone's situation is different, right? Say more about that. Yes. So typically when we get a call, it's usually somebody who's like, I have a quick question. <laughs> right. 
And, and there's no quick answer, right? right? Yeah. yeah. And they think it's bad punchline of a bad lawyer joke when we have to say it depends because yeah. it really does depend. Mm-hmm. And in order for me to give you either a yes or a no, I have to know a lot more about your situation and your facts because it's like, a, but as we discussed, everyone's diff, case is different and immigration law is at times nuanced. Right? So yep. how we view things and how the facts apply to you can make that answer a yes. And then to the person, you know, who called right after you and answer a no, right. To something that seemingly where you believe have the same facts. So because of that, we it's very important to do a very thorough analysis, gathering all the facts. And we, during the initial consultation stage, rely on the information that our clients are able to give us. So to make best use of that time mm-hmm. is to bring all the relevant paperwork or information that, that pertains to you as to this matter so that we have it at one pass. We have it under one roof so that we can review everything so that we can give you the most accurate answer, mm-hmm. whether it's very nerve wracking <laughs> when you have to say yes or no. Yes. Right. right? Yeah. But I always um, do that when I can back it up with a strategy or reason. Yeah. Yeah. Good words here from Elizabeth G. She is uh, the head of her own firm. She founded the G law firm uh, focusing on immigration law. Yeah, let's talk about success stories. I mean, uh, because you, I'm sure, have a lot of complicated cases and a lot of issues that you've worked through that help illustrate the great work you do. So let's share one or two. Thank you. So one that I'm especially proud of because this client is so special to me. Mm-hmm. I was able to not only help him, but his whole family, and it's quite a large family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what happened with this individual was his immigration case was being handled by a prestigious big law firm. Mm-hmm competent attorneys. But again, we're all human at the end of the day. And what happened was his uh, dependent spouse's status was not extended Mm. for close to a year by the time it was discovered that it just fell through the cracks. Mm -hmm. And dependents automatically get their dependent status as long as that relationship, right, that family relationship continues. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a complication in the case. It was just your run of the mill slipped through the cracks and no one found it until it was too late. And as I said, immigration, if you pass a deadline, you pass a deadline, Mm -hmm. right? So by the time he came to me, and it was a referral from a dear colleague who was like, oh, this is employment-based immigration related. I'm not touching this. (laughs) Call Elizabeth because she likes these things. (laughs) So I had a conversation with him and I realized what happened. And I immediately knew that the only option we had was the proverbial Hail Mary. And I said, there's a section in the law that allows us to file even after the fact, even a year after your, you know, your spouse has gone out of status, asking for forgiveness and asking USCIS to exercise their discretion to basically put her in a position as if the mistake didn't happen mm-hmm. because this mistake was not hers. And it was outside her control. So we gathered all the evidence to support that we satisfied the different elements of seeking this type of remedy. And we put it together really quick. And we, we and I told him from the get going, and I said, you're going to spend all this money and we may not get the outcome, right? Mm-hmm. I say right now, though, the best that we can hope for is 50-50, and I normally don't give numbers, but in this situation, it just felt like it was a 50-50 because that's what this remedy was intended for, right? Yeah. It was discretionary. So mm-hmm. whoever sees it, 
has to see that we satisfied all the requirements to seek this remedy and then felt like, what, I'm going to do this for you. And right. literally like it, like Christmas miracle, <laughs> I think it was towards the end of December, we got the outcome. Oh, wow. And they approved it, not only approving it, but they backdated everything as if this mistake or this lapse in the deadline hadn't happened. Wow. Putting her back into that position she would have otherwise been in, mm-hmm. but for that other law firm missing the deadline. So yeah. we were able to put her back mm-hmm. to where she was. But I'm sure, you know, that six month period that we had to wait was extremely stressful because, you know, we were talking about whether she would have to leave and then risk not being able to come back, mm-hmm. being subject to a bar. Because if you're here in the US for over a year out of status, you're subject to a 10-year bar, right? If you're here less than a year, but over six months, you're subject to a three-year bar. Mm -hmm. So she was right at that time where, do I risk it? Do I not? And we were like, he was like, I can't. I have lots of kids. (laughs) I need my wife here. Mm -hmm. And we need to stay together as a family, no matter what. Right. So this was what this was the best we could come up with. And thankfully it worked in their favor. And I was very happy to deliver that the yeah. news. And wow. till this day we talk occasionally, even though it may not be about immigration. Yes. <laughs> but we have calls to kind of catch up. Mm-hmm. And I'm very happy to have been able to deliver that for him. And I always tell him it wasn't because I'm so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the fast acting and the strategy definitely helped. But at the same time, I leave the rest up to his his you know, good karma coming yes. towards for him because he lived a good life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but as you said earlier, you, you've got to know how to fill out the forms and you've got to know, I guess what I'm saying this metaphorically, what buttons to push and whatnot on those forms. And there's a lot of skill and experience behind all that. So I think so. And you mentioned earlier anecdotal, right? Yeah. So having this Rolodex of God, I'm dating myself. Cases or <laughs> fact patterns in your brain yeah. where you can and knowledge, right? That is supported by experience mm-hmm. gives you the the ability to strategize. Mm-hmm. And honestly, no case is worth like my ego is not worth sacrificing a case. So if I don't know, I will be the first to say I don't know. Or I will say, I'm not sure, but let me check yeah. and then get back to you. So right. that doesn't necessarily, I don't think, attest to my lack of competency or anything like that. Because at the end of the day, right, my inability to accept the fact that I need help, Mm -hmm. (laughs) or my inability to recognize or acknowledge that I there are people who have more experience or who are better at this than I am, and being able to reach out, humbling myself to reach out to them will never be the reason we fail on a case, right? Because it starts with the strategy and the execution. So you have to have a good strategy in order to execute well, to have the result that you want. But if you mess up on the strategy, yeah, you're not going to even, no matter how well the execution is, you may not get the outcome that your client deserves or is expecting. For sure. For sure. Elizabeth, let's, we're coming down to the, the end, but let's describe um, the clients that are best fits for you and your firm. I love working with clients who are businesses, corporations, whether you're hiring or sponsoring one individual because you've identified that unicorn that you want in your organization, or you're a business that relies on foreign talent Mm -hmm. and and regularly move people across borders. We love working with you guys. We also love working with families who want to reunite with their loved ones Mm -hmm. and individuals 
namely student visa holders who mm-hmm. are who've invested considerably in their education in the United States and are looking for their next move and mm. what they need to do in order to start their careers or continue their careers in their respective fields. We love working with everyone. <laughs> yeah. Those that's terrific work. Elizabeth G, the G law firm. Elizabeth, this has been great. What great work you do. We're just delighted we could shine a light on it. Thank you. I appreciate the invite. And yeah. this was not as nerve wracking as I thought it'd be. <laughs> I told you it would be all uh, okay. Before we let you go, though, let's get to the most important question, which is how folks can get in touch with you if they've heard something that makes them think, I need to hire Elizabeth. Yes, we have a website at www.myglaw.com. That's spelled M-Y-J-I-L-A-W.com. Or you can email us at hello at myglaw.com. Love to hear from you. And please mention the show. And <laughs> Yes, please do. Yeah. Terrific. Elizabeth, again, thank you so much for coming in and keep up the great work you're doing. Thank you. Have yeah. a nice afternoon. Yeah, thank you. Hey, folks, just a quick reminder. If you're looking for a better status for your back office. You like the way I threw that word in there? (laughs) (laughs) Then you may need some help with administrative tasks or bookkeeping or uh, marketing or presentations that need to be prepared. And you just don't have time to do them and they're piling up and taking the joy out of your business. I've got a solution for you. It involves picking up the phone and calling the great folks at Office Angels. 678-528-0500. Tell them we sent you. But what they do is they have a whole team of angels that have various areas of expertise, and those angels fly in, get the job done, and they fly out, and they do it on an ongoing or as-needed basis. It's your terms and your timeline, and they work as long as they're needed and fly out when the job is done. I know about the great work they do because I use them in my business and couldn't do it without them. So give them a call, 678-528-0500, and let them get you back on the road to joy in your business. And just a quick reminder, I've got a book coming out later this year. It's called The Generosity Mindset Method for Business Success. Raise your confidence, your value, and your prices. If that's if you're a professional services provider in particular, you may find this book helpful. And if you want to know more, you can go to thegenerositymindset.com to learn more. And also, I want to thank our listeners. Most importantly, you are a fantastic. You've supported us these seven and a half years we've done this show. We're up to show number 715, I think, something like that. We've only gotten this far because of you. You continue to support us and and support our guest primarily, and that's what we're looking for. You help get the word out on the work they do. You share the show. You like us on social media, and you help us live into our mission to be the voice of business in North Fulton, and we're grateful to you. Please continue to help us in that work. Again, we appreciate you. So for my guest, Elizabeth G., I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on North Fulton Business Radio.